Hello, I'm Peter Morgan, and this is The Purpose of Finance, a new podcast series asking some tough questions about the business of finance, when it's good, when it's bad, and how best to avoid it getting downright ugly. The series is brought to you by the Pension Insurance Corporation, a specialist UK insurance company based in the heart of the City of London. It's produced in association with Editorial Intelligence, the podcast content providers. In the first edition of this series, we explored the purpose of finance, its often unsavoury reputation, and how repairing that reputation could benefit society as a whole. Today, we want to dig deeper into one particular aspect of this issue. With a panel of expert guests, we're exploring the changing world of stock markets and why that's something we should all care about. To set the scene, here are some facts and figures. The number of companies that have listed on the UK and US stock exchanges in the past 25 years has halved, and the number of new listings has dropped by three quarters. Why should that matter to you? Because stocks and shares are the most effective mechanism for recycling profits from business into the pockets of ordinary savers and pensioners. And because when companies turn away from stock markets to raise money from banks, venture capital and private equity firms, any profits they earn get shared by the few, not the many. Later on in this edition, we'll be hearing an interview with Liam Byrne, the former Chief Secretary to the Treasury and a Labour MP. Right now, the stock exchange doesn't do an effective job at mobilising popular savings into wealth-enhancing opportunities for the great majority of people in this country. We also spoke to Nicol Ratty, Chief Executive of the London Stock Exchange. Equity is the quintessential long-term form of capital. Companies that raise equity are able to plan, use that money flexibly, um, in contrast to debt where you're having to worry about short-term payments. To Andrew McNally, CEO of Equitile Investment Management. I often describe the equity contract or equity as probably the most effective recycler of wealth known to man. And and when I say wealth, I mean the wealth creation that comes from economic development and, and growth. And to Duncan Lamond, Head of Research and Analytics at Schroeder's Asset Management. Where I think the the issues around the way the equity market is functioning becomes more of a problem is if it is leading to companies not wanting to be part of public equity markets because of some of that short-term pressure. But first, let's explore the thoughts of the panel of guests joining me in the studio. Stefan Stern is an author and columnist who's been writing about management and leadership for over two decades. He's visiting professor in management practice for Cass Business School at City University in London. Hilary Salt is founder of First Actuarial LLP. She provides funding advice to pension scheme trustees and employers works with trade unions on pensions negotiations and provides policy advice for a range of organisations. And William Wright is founder and managing director of the think tank and forum New Financial, which promotes the importance of capital markets in driving growth and prosperity. He's also written a paper on the purpose of stock exchanges as part of this series. So, William, perhaps I can ask you why this is an issue we should worry about. I think that the main reason it's an issue is that, as you said in the introduction, is stock exchanges play this vitally important role at the heart of the modern economy, have done so for nearly 200 years, and, and they they help companies raise capital to invest in their growth and in jobs. They, In doing so, they help companies share that risk with a wider 
pool of investors. Um, but they play this vital role, potentially, in terms of addressing inequality, widening uh, in the participation of wealth creation. And as companies shift more towards the private market, the best years of that growth, the early stage growth of some of the highest potential companies, not just in the UK, but in the US and the rest of the world, is being captured by an ever smaller community. Stefan, there are lots of things in this world we can worry about. Do you think this is one we should worry about? Yes, I think so. We, we need public companies to invest in. Uh, in the media, of course, we love public companies because we can get the data. So we write perhaps rather too much about public companies and neglect others. We also therefore get a bit too critical about them some of the time. And I, and I do worry about this, this retreat from public markets. We want employees to be able to share in the, in the success of businesses. And our pension funds and insurance companies obviously need liquid securities to trade in that, that are public and accessible and understood. So, yes, I think if stock markets are shrinking in the way that the data suggests, that is a concern. Hillary? I wonder if, if what my colleagues have said there is, is maybe a bit of a romantic version of the, of the stock exchange because I think it is less and less the case that companies actually raise capital there now and actually more and more investment to the extent that it's happening is funded through, through debt and non-equity ways of, of raising that capital. So it, it almost seems to me that the stock market is, is much more a kind of financialization issue. Uh, you know, it's very much about financial organisations trading to the extent that lots of people have exposure to the equity market these days that you know they've bought a future or you know bought some kind of contract for you know the price of the stock market at a future date rather than actual investment and I do worry that actually that whole traditional idea of the stock market as a way for businesses, new businesses particularly, to raise finance for significant investment is a bit of a thing of the past, really. And can I, I think Hillary hit the nail on the head uh, when she was talking about the financialization of stock markets. So, you know, if we think back to when stock markets were first sort of formally launched and set up back in the early 17th century, they were very much about raising capital for a company to go and invest in its business. And they they performed that role all the way through, really until the sort of 1950s, 1960s. We then began to see this trend really accelerate from the 90s onwards, where the stock market became somewhere to be listed, but not somewhere to raise capital for your business. And at the same time, we've seen over the past 25, 30 years, a surge in the value of stock trading or the value of equity trading uh, on stock markets. Today, stock exchanges are bigger, deeper, more liquid than they've ever been. But at the same time, they seem to be less attractive to companies and to investors as somewhere where you actually go to raise money, which was their original function. Stefan, does it concern you? Obviously, your background is as a distinguished journalist. Does it does it worry you that that more and more companies are raising more and more debt in markets, which give us no access to the way they're running? I think that's right. And there's also a bigger question, if you like, about you know, what what do these shares actually mean, and what is this idea of a company? We had the Companies Act Reform 2006. You know, the Director's Duty Section 172. You'll note that the duty of a director to promote the success of the company. But what does that really mean in practice? Why are companies buying? back their own shares. I mean, this is the concern about the stock market manipulation. It seems a very odd thing for a corporate leadership to do, to say, well, we've got some capital, and rather than invest, rather than pay our staff a bit more, we're going to buy back the shares and keep keep the stock high, with all the implications for executive remuneration, which has obviously been a big concern of mine over the past couple of years. And that is 
troubling. There's also a concern amongst commentators that the move away from equity is a move away from long-term investments. Is that something you recognise, Hilary? Absolutely, and, and, and certainly advising pension schemes. Pension schemes are, by their very nature, very, very long-term asset holders, you know, primary investors for stock markets. They should be patient uh, capitalists. They should be uh, looking to generate long-term profit. The other thing that we've not mentioned about equities is that they produce dividends, and actually, again, for pension schemes, investing in something that produces long-term income, hopefully a real income that rises in line with inflation, is exactly the kind of asset you want. So it's a travesty that you know equities are not the natural home for a big chunk of pension scheme assets these days. William? I think that stock exchanges, stock markets, potentially have a really valuable role in helping promote the the social license to operate of big business, capitalism, whatever you want to call it. If you look in the UK, we've got a situation where millions of people are coming into contact with investing, with stock markets for the very first time as a result of auto-enrollment. If as they do so, what they find is that more and more companies are actually dropping out of that. It's not a great advert for capitalism if we see that more and more of the UK PLC is seen as off-limits for Mr. and Mrs. average investor who've got a few thousand, a few tens of thousand uh, in their pension scheme. We'll return later in this podcast to the panel discussion and ask the question, what we're going to do about that. For more on this debate, do head to the thought leadership section of pensioncorporation.com where you'll find interesting food for thought on the purpose of finance, the project which sparked this series. Now here's Martin Wolf, Chief Economics Commentator of the Financial Times, who's going to tell us what he thinks is the purpose of finance. The purpose of finance is to make us better off in many different respects. It's the purpose is to manage risks, to intermediate funds, to encourage entrepreneurship and investment in the future. It is the system that allows us to manage our claims upon and development of the future economy today. Liam Byrne, Labour MP for Birmingham Hodge Hill, was Chief Secretary to the Treasury under Gordon Brown, and he co-chairs the All-Party Parliamentary Group on Inclusive Growth. When I asked him about the importance of stock exchanges, he wanted to start at the very beginning. If you go back to the advent of the Limited Liability Act back in the 1850s and 1860s, and you look at the debates that we had here in Parliament What we sought to do through creating the Limited Liability Act is mobilise small pots of capital so that they can share in the wealth creation and the wealth accumulation of the country. The mechanism for actually investing those pots was a stock exchange. But right now the stock exchange doesn't do an effective job at mobilising popular savings um, into wealth-enhancing opportunities for the great majority of people in this country. So I think it's important for us to actually go back to some of the original ambitions that we, that we had here. If you look back over the last 20, 30 years, I guess we've had the great privatisations, we've had public involvement in share ownership through that, more and more people own their own pensions. 
it's not obvious why the stock market has become less accessible rather than more accessible. No, I agree. And I think we've missed a trick with auto-enrolment. So auto-enrolment was a, a great pension reform that we were very proud of in the Labour Party. That should have been a real powerhouse for democratising wealth ownership in our country. But we haven't invented a system whereby it's really easy for people to see where their money is invested. I would like us to have a system where people could literally see what assets, what buildings, what services their money was invested in. So how do we begin to turn this around? So patiently and methodically, I think on both left and right now in politics, there is a recognition that the political economy uh, that we put in place in the late 1970s and which has run for the last 50 years is pretty much out of road. It's not working effectively here. And you can tell this because... You know, if you look globally, you now see countries which are less free are delivering rates of productivity growth and wealth growth, economic growth, that are higher than the free countries. So we need to begin patiently to build a cross-party consensus, what I've called a common cause for common sense, around a different economic settlement. At the end of the day, markets are not some platonic ideal. They're, they're designed by humans. And crucially, it's the health of those institutions that define your long-term economic success. And if we're to reform them in a way that is stable for many generations to come, we need to make sure there's a cross-party consensus. And that's what we're trying to do with the All-Party Group on Inclusive Growth. We work internationally, we work with the city, uh, and crucially, we work across the party divides. So Liam Byrne wants to put cross-party agreement and a new regulatory framework at the heart of change in the financial system. But that's only part of the story, as I found out when I had the chance recently to sit down with three people who bring additional perspectives on the purpose of stock markets. Let's hear first from the man at the heart of the action in London, Nick Ratty, Chief Executive of the London Stock Exchange. Equity is the quintessential long-term form of capital. Companies that raise equity are able to plan, use that money flexibly, um, in contrast to debt where you're having to worry about um, short-term payments. And I think it is correct that with low interest rates, um, there has been an increase in debt relative to equity uh, as a source of financing for companies. Uh, We'll see how that changes uh, as low interest rates unwind in the coming years. And obviously, as Chief Executive of the London Stock Exchange, it's got to be a worry for you that the number of companies listing is falling, the amount of capital raised on the equity markets is falling. Is it important to wider society? I think you have to be careful with some of the statistics. I think it is correct that overall the number of listed companies has gone down in recent years, but the average size of company has gone up. The overall market capitalisation of the market has gone up. And what's also interesting is that Um, existing listed companies on the market are very active in raising further capital once they are listed. So we still see a very important role for the market in financing growth, in financing uh, innovation. Uh, And it is a a central role for the economy because the investors on the market uh, are wide-ranging but include pension funds who are investing for every citizen in the country and enabling every citizen in the country to enjoy the benefits of the innovation and growth of companies of all sizes on the market. How good a job do you think the stock exchange is doing in redistributing wealth, allowing general members of the public to access fast-growing parts of the economy? 
I don't think it is only the stock exchange that has responsibility for ensuring the widest participation in our markets. There are some bigger social um, issues there which which many players have an interest in. Uh, We would like to see much more active retail participation in the market in IPOs. And I think that is one area where uh, there is room to have a conversation because at the moment you will see that increasingly retail investors um, are finding it harder to access IPOs, new offerings. And in terms of accessing the market, generally, are, are because of regulatory and other reasons, are having to employ advisors rather than being able to do their own research and access directly. Technology, on the other hand, should make that easier. So I think there is a conversation to be had to make retail investing even more accessible uh, for the ordinary citizen. So the stock exchange has been around 300 years. You're pretty confident it's going to be there in 300 years' time. I won't be here 300 years' time, but I'm pretty sure the stock exchange will be. Nikhil's optimism is pretty impressive. He'd like to see more private investor involvement in the stock exchange, particularly when companies come to the market for the first time. But he doesn't appear overly concerned by the seismic shift towards funding from private equity, venture capital and debt. Our next two witnesses are much less sanguine. First, let's hear from Andrew McNally. Andrew is Chief Executive of Equitile Investment Management, a company who believes that short-termism is a critical problem in UK equity markets and that it can help promote a healthier financial system. Essentially, the problem is that the world more broadly, uh, and in this particular case the corporate world, has become excessively reliant on the use of debt. When used in excess, it creates... Uh, problems much more often uh, and in a much more profound way than most advisors and market practitioners would tell you. And why is that? Well, because the bankruptcy risk is greater than people think. The Enrons, the Lehmans of this world happen much more often than people think. And actually, even before the bankruptcy point, the degree of financial stress that causes companies to, for example, sell assets at the wrong price happens actually with relatively modest levels of leverage, I would, I would say. To turn that into a more positive uh, story, if you like, if you're primarily equity funded and you have a very strong balance sheet, you're much more able to scrap obsolete capital, to generate new technologies, to innovate, and actually to build more enduring relationships with all of your stakeholders, which in itself is much more likely to generate economic and corporate growth. The problem is... That theory ignores the human aspect of corporations. And the reality is if your creditors are breathing too heavily down your neck at the end of every month, you don't function in the way that you would do if you were more financially robust. Okay, so you've described very eloquently why you might worry about this if you're a chief executive. Why should you worry about it if you're just a member of the public? This is a very interesting question. I often describe the equity contract or equity as probably the most effective recycler of wealth known to man. And and when I say wealth, I mean the wealth creation that comes from economic development and, and growth. The problem is, if it's the most effective recycler of wealth, but very, very few people own that equity, and the returns to that equity are very highly leveraged, i.e. underpinned by debt finance, uh, then you get an accentuation, if you like, of the wealth polarisation, and then all sorts of, I would say, unusual political and geopolitical outcomes from that. So this really is fundamentally important, because without efficient equity markets, more and more wealth accumulates in fewer and fewer hands. That's absolutely right. And ordinary folk 
potentially pay a very heavy price of getting this alignment mismatched. Yeah, absolutely. What's the solution? Clearly, we need incentives for corporations to use more equity. And if you think about our corporate tax system right now, there are very heavily tax incentives to use debt finance, uh, and you don't have the same incentives for companies to use equity finance. However, encouraging companies to use equity to fund themselves only really starts to resolve the broader societal problem if you create more owners of equity. I often say that there are a number of ways that you can participate in economic growth. There's your wages and salaries, there's public services and, and, and welfare that redistributes the rewards, if you like, of economic growth, or there's ownership. And, and for most people, ownership in economic growth comes through, for example, their pension and maybe their ISA account where they would own investment funds and so on. All three of those areas need to be addressed, so it's not like suddenly creating a great interest in the equity market solves the, instability, the financial instability and the, and the wealth distribution problem that we discussed, but it definitely could form a meaningful part of it. That requires it to become part of a political agenda. I was struck by Andrew's observation that central banks have exacerbated the shift from equity to debt by allowing interest rates to stay so low for so long. If he's right, that's exactly the opposite of what he believes regulators should be doing, namely encouraging more companies to raise equity finance and encouraging more people to own shares. Andrew's concern is shared by Duncan Lamont. He's head of research and analytics at the asset manager Schroders. The initial question is, what is the benefit of equity finance as opposed to rather than public equity finance? Equity finance, whether it's in private equity hands or public markets, still allows the ability to have long-term financing for an organisation. What you get in a public market that you don't get privately are two main things, I think. So one is the transparency. So the transparency which comes with a public listing enables us to hold public companies to account in a way that you just can't do privately. So that transparency is a double-edged sword. If you're a company, you might not like it, but actually there's broader socio-economic benefits, workers' rights, dubious business practices, all of these things actually are much easier to kind of look at and manage in a public environment. But the second, and I think actually the bigger concern I have with all of these issues around companies staying private, is what it means for individual savers. So the public market effectively democratises access to the growth in the corporate sector. It allows dispersed ownership where any individual on the street can buy shares in a public company. Whereas in private markets, the profits of any of that growth are much more narrowly held. So if you don't have a well-functioning stock market, the danger is the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, and anyone who has a pension fund needs to worry. Absolutely, yes. Okay, well, that's pretty scary. So what's to be done? One of the key things is around incentives. And we have to look at the way some management incentives are structured. If you have executive compensation tied to short-term measures of quarterly earnings, that is that just seems like a no-no. Similarly, if you have structures which can be manipulated by things such as share buybacks to temporarily boost your earnings per share or your share price, again, that shouldn't be possible. So it shouldn't be hard to create an incentive structure which actually doesn't result in that outcome. One of the other things that often gets put forward is around quarterly reporting. So quarterly reporting, does that lead companies to focus too much on the short term? You don't have to report quarterly in the UK. It's not been a requirement since 2014. What I do think is interesting, 
And this is it's part, I guess, a personal reflection. I, I work for a public company, Schroeder's, but we are owned almost 50% by the Schroeder's family. And I hear our chief executive regularly saying, the family say to him, we've been around for 200 years, what do we do to ensure that we are still successful for the next 200? And if you've got a large shareholder base who are saying, we will back you to take a long-term view, that takes that short-term pressure off. Are you optimistic or pessimistic about this issue being successfully addressed? I think there are elements to this which are cyclical and structural. So debt's been cheap. As we see interest rates rising, equity will start to become more attractive again. I think the private equity competition as a source of capital is not going to go away. And actually, that is going to be a permanent source of competition. I do think that there is a recognition that regulation may need to be looked at again. The, the, the risk if we don't do it is this inequality, this widening inequality which we have seen, where those who have capital get more, those who don't get worse. I think Duncan sums up the risks and rewards really well. His idea that equity markets democratise access to growth in the corporate sector is a powerful one. And it's hard to disagree that transparency in business is a public good, even though it may discourage some from a stock market listing. Let's turn to Martin Wolf. If he had a magic wand, what's the one thing he'd do to change the financial sector for the better? I would change its size. I would like it to be smaller. We have at the heart of our system financial institutions which are immensely leveraged, that is to say, for which it is normal to have ratios of debt to equity of 20 to 1 or more. Those institutions are by their nature very fragile, clearly, because they have almost no equity at all, and they create panic when things are wrong. And these are institutions which are banks or near or similar to banks. And what can we do about these things? I think there are two pretty obvious things we can do. One is to eliminate all tax favouring of that debt, so that debt should cease, debt interest should cease to be tax deductible. And secondly, we should insist on substantially less leverage, I substantially more equity in uh, the financial uh, system and particularly in banks. We've gone some way towards that, but I would personally go much further towards that. So let's find out what our panel thinks. William, you've looked in depth at this issue. What's the key reform to resolve this crisis in capitalism you describe? I think it would be lovely if if we could wave a magic wand and solve this problem. But it needs to be a sort of threefold approach, a pincer movement by government and regulation, by investors and the wider financial community, the ecosystem around stock exchanges, and by exchanges themselves. How can stock exchanges make themselves as attractive as possible to new companies and to investors? Investors themselves, I think, need to work together and work out how their behavior is affecting this. And then I think when it comes to government, there are some big levers that could be pulled. Uh, The biggest is the differential tax treatment of debt and equity. But then the other big one I think that government can look at, this question that we've touched on a few times around transparency, perhaps looking at raising standards uh, of governance and transparency 
certainly for larger private companies. Hillary, that's quite a menu of improvement. What, what appeals to you? <laughs> yeah, just on that last one, I, I agree with everything else you said. I wasn't sure about that issue about standards of dis- disclosure. One of the things, I don't know if you've ever been in a, a hotel room late at night and you've met the CEO of an organisation who's just been on the, the round of the investors and they've just done disclosures and he generally is exhausted. Uh, and I, I do worry that, you know, you put these people through all that work doing engagement with investors when actually they might be better at the ranch running the business. And and I do worry that there's an, an extent to which the, the regulation and the need to engage at the stock market level is actually a barrier. The, the other two things I, I would throw in are we need to be more tolerant of failure. So one of the things that I think is a real barrier at the moment is that there are too few bankruptcies. And we need to see more businesses going bankrupt. And that's a, a hard thing to say. And I'm not saying that you abandon the people who are employed in those businesses because you need to help and support them. But actually, we need some creative destruction. There's far too many businesses now that exist that really shouldn't exist. And I do think that the fact that they're they're often financed by debt and it's the debt holders who don't want to see their investment disappear is a real and more of a barrier than it would be if those people were financed by equity. And it's another consequence of this permanently low interest rate environment, mm. is that the companies are surviving, because if the, lo- if the loans were called in, if they're having to pay proper interest on what they borrowed, they would be struggling. And then, but then on top of that, there's the cultural aspect, which is, that, which is an acceptance that if a company does go bust, that should not be seen as a failure. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's risk-taking that didn't work out, which is a very different thing. Stefan, do you think that investors have been too lazy, that uh, you know, their more active participation in the management of PLCs would, would be a welcome thing? I think in theory, yes. But when you think how many public companies asset managers have to study and try and understand internationally, not just in the UK, it's a really big ask. And so I think we'd like shareholders, we use this one word shareholder to describe such a vast universe of different types of people with different time horizons and priorities. We want them to be more engaged, want them to be more thoughtful, and yet we're putting in an awful lot on them. And I think as William was hinting, it's really a collective endeavour, not least from business leaders themselves. I sympathise with the exhausted CEO at the end of a long series of presentations. However, they are well paid to do that job. And if they were more skilled in telling a clear and understandable story about what their business is really trying to do, it'd probably have an easier time with investors. So I think there's a real leadership task here for businesses. I think we've all agreed that the low interest rate environment has exacerbated the relative decline of equity finance. If we just wait for interest rates to return to more normal levels, can we just wait this thing out or do we need to take more positive action than that? Well, I think we'd be waiting quite a long time for rates to rise. I mean, that's not financial advice, it's just my point of view. But no, I think the the collective endeavour, you know, it's all these elements that uh, William was uh, hinting at. There's lots of people need to uh, raise their game, if you like, and maintain a more honest dialogue, actually, as well, because there's always this sort of gap between the investment community and businesses, with both sort of blaming the other and journalists on the side blaming everybody. And I think collectively, things could be run a lot better. I mean, obviously... Corporate governance requirements and the disclosure burden on public companies has increased over the past 30 years. In the past 25 years, we've had more corporate governance reviews and reports in the UK than we've had prime ministers. But what's really interesting is that you can see in both the US and the UK, this decline, this very clear decline in the number of listed companies, the number of new issues, and the amount of money that those companies are raising kicked in long before 
the debate really took off around whether or not disclosure and governance in public equity markets was, was too demanding. I don't think we should just be waiting around because it's not just waiting for interest rates to rise, it's waiting for the past 50 years of stagnant productivity (laughs) to change. And that's what we've got to do. And I think we're actually at a kind of bit of a crossroads now where we've got all that investment in auto-enrolment, which could be a kind of a new beverage, a new new deal, which could fund, you know, real productive investment. And I think that takes a three-way partnership between government and investors to kind of rebuild Britain, recreate a dynamic, productive economy in the UK. Well, I'm sure, as a point of conclusion, that's something we can all agree about. So thank you very much indeed to our guests, Hilary Salt, Stephen Stern and William Wright, here in the studio. And also thanks to Martin Wolfe, Duncan Lamont, Liam Byrne, Nikhil Ratti, and Andrew McNally. A quick reminder that you can find out more about the purpose of finance by going to pensioncorporation.com and looking in the thought leadership section. In the next edition, we examine the loss of trust in finance and what can be done to restore it. The Purpose of Finance is an editorial intelligence production for the Pension Insurance Corporation. This series is presented by me, Peter Morgan. The executive producers are Julia Hobsbawm and Kate Taylor for editorial intelligence and Jeremy Apfel for the Pension Insurance Corporation. Research is by Laura Musins and thank you very much indeed for listening.